Welcome to RCV Clips, short recordings and interviews designed to introduce listeners to helpful tools and brief explanations about ranked choice voting and how this voting method works. These clips are produced by the Ranked Choice Voting Resource Center, a compilation of best practices and first-hand experiences from jurisdictions that have used ranked choice voting, also known as RCV. The website, www.rankedchoicevoting.org, and the overall project serve as resources for election administrators, voters, policymakers, candidates, and for anyone who wants to learn more about ranked choice voting. We are not advocacy-focused. Rather, we aim to provide resources that allow jurisdictions to implement RCV effectively and efficiently. The RCV Resource Center team is comprised of former election administrators who have conducted statewide, municipal, and district RCV elections. Hi, my name is Chris Hughes, and I'm staff attorney at FairVote and liaison to the Ranked Choice Voting Resource Center. Today, I'm speaking with Whitney Quisenberry, co-director of the Center for Civic Design. CCD partnered with FairVote and the Resource Center two years ago to conduct usability research into ranked choice voting ballots, voter education materials, and results presentation. We're reaching the end of that project now, so we wanted to have Whitney on the podcast to talk about her work on usability and her experience studying ranked choice voting. Welcome to RCB Clips, Whitney. Thanks for joining us today. Well, thanks for inviting me. Yeah, our pleasure. Uh, we're really excited to have you on. So let's just dive right in. Could you tell uh, our listeners what usability is? Sure. Um, I mean, there's big, long, complicated definitions about how people can uh, use something efficiently, effectively, and with satisfaction. But I think a simpler way to think about it is, especially for elections, is can a voter understand how to vote and then use whatever they have to vote with, whether that's a paper ballot or some sort of electronic device, to mark their ballot in a way that supports their intent without making errors, either intentional or unintentional. What about usability have you uh, tried to bring into your research with or on ranked choice voting? Okay. So um, typically, I think big changes in how we conduct elections get hammered out as kind of policy goals, right? And I think we, we, have, those, we have those goals right. We are, they're about you know, improving democracy and making it easier for people to express their intent or maybe making it easier for them to vote. But what we do with usability is we sort of del- we, we dive down into that moment of interaction, right? Here's someone, we've gotten them from their house to the polling place, and now they're standing in front of, in their polling booth, and they're about to mark a ballot, and what happens there? And we were interested in our CV. Uh, well, we started thinking about ballot design, right? Thinking, oh, how hard is it to mark the ballot? Because when you look at a collection of RCV ballots from around the world, they're pretty daunting, especially if you're used to a simpler ballot, although I think it's a little hard for us to call American ballots simple compared to some other countries. But right. um, yeah. uh, So we started with the, the ballot design, uh, and then we realized that it wasn't just about that moment of marking the ballot. That's the center of it, but it's how do they come to the ballot ready to understand how to mark their ballot and, and what that will mean they're saying to the election, and then afterwards, how do they understand what happens to that ballot after they've marked it and how it contributes to somebody winning the election? Uh, So we started pretty broad brush. And then as we learned things, we started focusing in on them. So we would learn that the instructions made a big difference. And we started, you know, iterating on that and trying to get those right. Uh, And then when we got the instructions right, we started thinking about what's the voter education around that or how do we understand the results? And so we were able to kind of follow that voter journey um, through the different pieces of research that we did. 
And did anything, as you were walking through this, uh, the ranked choice voting stuff with voters, was it different in how you'd done previous research, uh, other usability studies? Not really. Um, I mean, there, everybody says, is this a you know, well-done study? But uh, as though there's one proper way to do it. The, you know, the scientific method, even if you're being totally scientific, still has a lot of flexibility. In the end, the core of what we do is we um, try to engage someone who represents the audience we're after, in this case, a potential voter of any kind, in doing something. So not just talking about their preferences, but actually interacting with the ballot or the voter education materials or the results display um, where we can watch them. So we can sort of see what parts of it interest them and where we can talk to them about what they're seeing as they're going through it and immediately afterwards. So we can say, you know, I, I heard you say that I really like this guy. And then I saw that you marked him second. Let's talk about why you did that. And so it's behavioral, right? We're, we're sort of, we're delving down into that intersection between goals and, and actual behavior and um, are people doing things as they try to, to vote that will support their goals. Did you find that people interacted with ranked choice voting materials differently than how you expected uh, coming in from, you know, experience with other voting methods or with your other research projects? Well, we did have a surprise and, and it was, and that we heard, we found that surprise very early, which is when you look at the pile of ranked choice voting ballots that are used, um, we expected the act of marking the ballot to be the most difficult part. And that was really going to be all about designing that ballot beautifully. So mm -hmm. we did this analysis with, with uh, looking at the ballots of different types. There's, you know, there's a grid style ballot. There's the three column, there's fill in the numbers, you know, manually. Uh, and we, kind of put them all into piles. And then we had our ballot designers make a ballot that looked like each of those styles of ballots that had the right relationship and the right layout. But we did them following the EAC best practices. And this is a set of design guidelines for ballots that was done, gosh, way back in 2006, I think, with some great research behind it. Uh, and when what we found was that when we normalized all the different layouts and all the different ways of marking a ranked choice ballot for good typography, right? A, a good font, a large enough font, right? Good white space, visual presentation so that each contest and each option in the contest and the instructions stand out and they're all in a good place. And we had instructions that mixed words and a little bit of text, not too much, not too little, that when we did that, it smooths out the differences. And in the end, we uh, the last it was the it's the second last study in this project, but the last one that we did was back in December. We had 112 participants marking three different ballots, so that's well over 300 ballots, and there were no mistakes on them. Nobody overvoted. Nobody skipped ranks. Right? They they might have decided to only rank one or two, but they didn't make mistakes that would potentially invalidate their vote. And when we talked to them about it, they had ranked the ballot. I mean, the way they marked the ballot made sense for their understanding of ranked choice voting. So the big mistake, so that was the surprise. The design smooths out those differences. And now we can focus on the important voting, which is having your voice heard, not how to mark the ballot. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And I know we've talked before about how, like, my one thing that really drives me to work on ranked choice voting is this sense that people don't get to engage with American democracy the way I think that they want to and the way that they should be able to. Um, yeah. 
whether because of you know voter ID laws or because the voting method itself doesn't truly reflect how voters feel about about their candidates. They don't have that opportunity. Right. And that's a great segue to the next thing we learned, which is that you have to think about all the information, especially if we're introducing ranked choice voting, as um, as kind of a, a whole, because voters see the different information at different times. They might come to the polling place having not even known there was ranked choice voting, or they might have been following the voter education. And so we have to be able to answer the questions like, why are we voting in this way? Right. What are, what are the big picture goals? Because people don't think, mm, let me fill in this circle perfectly, or let me, you know, let me list these candidates in order. They mm -hmm. think something bigger. Um, and we, so we actually had tested some of the proposed impacts of ranked choice voting. And you know, we learned that people like the sense that it was, that it opened up choice. They like that it could save money because you didn't have runoffs. Uh, there were other things that didn't resonate as well with them. So we, we used that research to help sort of focus in on the, the things people reacted well to. And then the next thing they need to know is, okay, so we're doing this thing and it's got to, it's going to help me help us have better democracy. Now, what do I need to do? Right. How do I think about my choices? And then what exactly do I do to mark my ballot? And then this was another, not quite surprise, but once I've marked my ballot, how does that contribute to the overall outcome of the election? And to make sure that the way we talk about making those choices at the very beginning when we're introducing it matches up all the way to the way it, it the way we present the results and that we're not just piling a lot of words on but we're answering the question right in front of them like okay what do i do to mark my ballot or hey how did that guy get elected um and writing that in the cleanest simplest plainest language for real voters and not election geeks right like showing voters how this is how you make your vote count the way you want it to count. That's right. Or like everybody sort of understood the the ranking and but some some whether they understood it exactly mathematically correctly maybe didn't matter as much. Mm -hmm. But what they wanted to understand was what happened to a ballot that looked like theirs. Like we changed the language from your now we'll count your second choice to now we'll count your next choice because if your first choice vote remains in the running through three, four, five, six rounds of counting, and it's only at the seventh round that they're knocked out, then it's only at the seventh round that your second choice counts. And that's, it's just hard to get your tongue around explaining all of that. Mm -hmm. But that notion that it wasn't that we first count your first choice and then we count your second choice, it's that we count your second choice only if your first choice gets knocked out of the running. Right. We see this a lot where people see the number of ranks and they think, oh, well, my first rank counts in the first round, my second rank counts yeah. in the second round, and it's... Yeah, or they think it's it's a point system. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a whole bunch of different things people think that can think, and um, trying to, without overloading the math, right, without trying to make them know more about the election than they want to know, make yeah. them feel comfortable that that first choice isn't going to be disregarded um, too early. Right. Yeah. Because, you know, they ranked this person first because they like them the most. And that's right. sure they feel they right. feel comfortable with that. It was interesting doing some of this testing uh, around the 2016 election. It wasn't really an effect we'd planned, but we had people say we, we, we were asking people how many they wanted to rank, how many they were able to rank. We looked at how many they did rank on a ballot that we a test ballot that we gave them. And we had someone say, how do I show that I want to vote against someone? <laughs> 
right? And yeah. so one person said, well, I would make sure I ranked everybody and put them last just to make sure they never, ever counted him, right? Unless he was going to be the winner. Um, so there, there were, once you get strong feelings, there were some interesting strategies going on that helped us think about how many do people want to mark, right? And I know we've talked a lot about that kind of strategic voting and that your first, your first, your second choice never hurts your first choice. Um, and so helping people kind of get their head around it, because we all, anybody over the age of, well, anybody who's never voted with second choice voting grew up, you know, with, in the kid, in this, in the playground saying majority wins or, you know, first one to get enough votes wins. And this mm -hmm. changes that, you know, it's not just America. This is pretty general that, that about half of the elect, half of the adults in a country read they read, but they don't read as their primary and best way of getting information, right? Mm -hmm. They might be more listening, you know, better, better at learning things by listening to it than by reading it. And especially when there's a lot of logic in it. Um, and there's a lot of logic to, to, the, to the claims that we're making. And so thinking about how to help them get a handle on what's going on quickly uh, and, and accurately enough that every fact they learn builds on that base. Uh, so we're running out of time, so I wanted to switch gears a little yeah. bit for the last yeah. couple questions. Mm -hmm. um, first, if a jurisdiction is faced with implementing ranked choice voting, uh, are there one or two practices or principles you would suggest they follow if they have to like really prioritize? Well, I'm going to do this sort of quickly by saying that this is a great opportunity to upgrade your ballot, ballot design to best practices if you're not already using them. Um, uh, the, the, the EAC best practice designs are online and all of the material that we've created that's posted at rankedchoicevoting.org slash usability uses that, those designs. So this is an opportunity to not just introduce this new method of voting, but to also upgrade the materials around it. And I think the second thing I would say is don't skimp on the voter education and don't just talk theory, but use demo ballots and you know, have, have enough demo voting and, and practice voting that people can get to feel comfortable with the, both the mechanics and the thought behind the mechanics of ranked choice voting. The jurisdictions that we've seen that have done a really good implementation, I mean, Minnesota, Minneapolis always comes to mind, have just done fantastic voter education campaigns so that no one feels like, my goodness, I've been voting for 50 years and I walked into the voting booth and I didn't know what was going on. Right. I was just about to mention Minneapolis and how Casey Carl, in his presentation during the symposium about a month ago, talked about leading with values and using that as a, an educational tool as well, mm -hmm. which is something you talked about, you know, talking about saving money, talking about uh, the right. larger voice people receive with ranked choice voting and how you built right. that into the voter education. Right. right. And then connect that to the actions. Right. Right. So it's, yeah. it's not it's not just. Um, what I'm trying to do, but how I'm trying to do it. I really liked how Casey talked about it, where yeah. he said, you know, your voting method reflects your values as a mm -hmm. community. Uh, mm -hmm. And that that's something ranked choice voting, that's why places adopt ranked choice voting, because they feel like it represents their values as a community. Looking back, what's something you hadn't had the chance to research in ranked choice voting that you wanted to? Well, we're doing something uh, in two weeks in Maine, um, which is we keep narrowing in on what's the right number of rankings and to offer people. And I don't mean that we're restricting them. I just, the, the, there's this sort of uh, 
double-edged sword here, offers people too few options and you've sort of negated the benefits of ranked choice voting. But if you offer them too many, it can be overwhelming. And so how do we make a ballot that is makes it clear that you have the option to mark as many as you want, but you're not required to go beyond that? And if you're introducing ranked choice voting for the first time, what's the sweet spot? Right. Because I think a 30, you know, a 30 by 30 candidate grid is a little overwhelming, but maybe <laughs> yeah. five candidates with five choices isn't so overwhelming. And and where is that sweet spot where where uh, where you can do that? So that's something we'd love to research. And uh, boy, I think uh, I, we're we're practical researchers I, and we always end up wanting to get, try it out in a real election. So to be able to actually work with an election department on designing those ballots so they're as fantastic as they can possibly be and then seeing how they work in a real election by being able to talk to and observe voters. That would be cool. And uh, you managed to leapfrog me. You got to my next question talking about Maine. Thanks so much for joining us today, Whitney. This was great. Okay, wonderful. Thank you for joining us today for our May RCV clip. This is a monthly segment produced by the Ranked Choice Voting Resource Center. You can find RCV clips anywhere you get podcasts. Please take some time to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Our theme music is Flutterbee by Pottington Bear. Thanks to Whitney Quisenberry of the Center for Civic Design for joining us today. You can find a recording of her session at the RCVRC Symposium and the nine other sessions at www.rankchoicevoting.org symposium. Until next time, I'm Morgan Chance on behalf of my colleagues Chris Hughes and the rest of the Ranked Choice Voting Resource Center.